It's Herb Alper in the Tijuana Brass. I'm Carson Sestouli, and this is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio is Jeff Sullivan, editor of the wildly popular SB Nation blog for the Seattle Mariners, Lookout Landing. In what follows, Jeff and I discuss exactly what you think we might discuss, which is to say fallout from the recent trade that sent right-handed pitcher Michael Pineda to the New York Yankees in exchange for catching prospect or quasi-catching prospect Jesus Montero. We begin first by discussing Michael Pineda's rise through the Seattle Mariners system, where he went from the 10th-ranked prospect in the organization in 2009 to, in 2011, coming close to winning Rookie of the Year honors. We look at what Pineda's departure does to the Mariner rotation, both in the near and then also the less near future. We discuss what statements, if any, the Mariners have made about Jesus Montero and his future position. And for the majority of the second half of the podcast, we congratulate each other on a job well done. It's my interview with Lookout Landing's Jeff Sullivan on this edition of Fangraphs Audio. for about an hour about nothing and then we start podcasting and we're completely out of energy makes for a quality program that it's all right we haven't done one for a while but we're actually thinking about doing one today inspired by you so oh good well good yeah how did you know him originally i know that he's written for lookout landing for a while yeah i actually got to know him through the website uh he was just you know like a commenter that i liked and i i noticed him because i was really active in the community and then in 2008 for the first ever Pitch FX conference. It was in uh, San Francisco. He was affiliated with the Hardball Times, and he asked if I wanted to go through it as well because it was an area of his interest and of my interest, so I met him for the first time there, and we hit it off. Yeah, he's a nice little guy, and he lives uh, he lives in Seattle, of course, which isn't very far from you. You're in Portland now. Yeah, he is just exceedingly distant. I never see him. I'm actually going to see him soon. Uh, he is a very good friend of mine, all because of the Internet. Go Internet. Go Internet. Uh, okay, do you want to talk about Jesus Montero? I mean, that would be the predictable thing. Yeah, I think it makes sense to talk about, at least start talking off uh, about. I, I guess, like, to talk about Jesus Montero, you sort of have to talk about Michael Pineda maybe first. Um, yeah. I remember first hearing about Pineda, and maybe he even pitched in Portland, actually. This would have been 2000. I guess 2010 at some point, or maybe late 2009. At some point, he sort of uh, rapidly came onto the radar, isn't that right? Yeah, he uh, he was one of those prospects. I believe he was converted uh, to a pitcher from the outfield, but he was he's been a pitcher for a while, and he just kind of he was a live fastball. You know, I, I don't want to be racially insensitive, but he was he was kind of the uh, the textbook young Dominican pitcher where he had a live arm, good fastball. He's tall. Uh, slider with potential, never really a third pitch, but he just he kept missing bats, and he did this thing, which is rare, that he would actually come up to the system throwing strikes pretty much at every single level, which put him more on the map. He lost a lot of time in 2009 to an elbow injury, which kind of freaked people out, but he came right back in 2010. He was just dynamite with... In double-A, he was dynamite in triple-A. That's probably when you saw him in, uh, in Poland, because I'm looking at this right now, and he was 21 years old. In AAA, he struck out 11 batters per nine innings as a starter. So that kind of tells you a little bit about how quickly he came back from that injury and put himself on the map. And then 
I mean, he made the team out of spring training last year, so he he shot up in a hurry. And, uh, yeah, he was an absolute pleasure to watch. He was a rare prospect. He would just come up and throw strikes. Yeah, I mean, do you have a vague notion of, of where he was, like, on the BA rankings, the organizational rankings, like, you know, in, like, 08 through, you know, through last year? Well, being one who's actively staring at his baseball reference page, I can tell you specifically that before <laughs> the 2011 season, he was ranked the number 16 on the Baseball America Top 100. Uh, 16 overall. Yeah, 16 overall, and he was young. I'm guessing that there were just concerns about his uh, his health history since he had just missed time with an elbow injury. But in terms of performance, he was just outstanding. Yeah, so and no walk, perfect. And I, let's see, uh, re- uh, referring to the the Baseball America Prospect Handbook from 2009, which would have been before the 09 season. Mm-hmm. He's number 10. Which is so ten? Sorry, ten in the Mariners organization. Right. Yeah. No, he was. Uh, he was. Oh, a distance down there. Yeah, I think he was in. Yeah. Well, I can confirm. Yeah, he was in A ball. He was just finished off a full season in A ball. So he was way down there. He was just a teenager with a live arm, but you know, miles away. Not unlike a Jose Campos, you could say, where he was. Jose Campos is also nineteen, just coming off a lot of success in short season. But Jose Campos isn't going to be considered a top prospect because he's just so damn far away. Right, and I guess that's sort of the thing with pitchers, right? And as you know, with Pineda, the unique thing about him is that he threw so hard and and yet had such great control, which I guess is is probably the strange thing. Usually you don't see those two things converging um, at, at such a young age. Yeah, I know, uh, I know Dave loves to compare Michael Pineda to Matt Latos just in terms of, you know, like basketball player skills that miss bats for strikes and and it's, it's funny that they both got moved in the same offseason for a big package, but it is an incredibly rare thing where usually if you see a prospect with high strikeouts, low walks get traded, it'll be somebody like Tommy Malone where it's like where there's a lot of questions about the quality of the stuff. But there were never questions about Pineda. It was always kind of a question of his health and his third pitch. But the advantage of having good control like he has is that you can kind of get by without a third pitch as he did last season. Maybe that becomes more of a factor down the road. But he did a lot better against lefties than anybody would have thought he would this past season. So that's encouraging because, I mean, his slider worked against him, so maybe it'll continue to work. Right, okay. And so that's in, in, now that will be to the Yankees' benefit at this point. Uh, yeah. I mean, so you you heard about the trade uh, roughly, I'm assuming, every, about the same time everyone else did because, uh, well, naturally, because it wasn't, uh, there appeared to be nothing sort of leading up to it. Uh, I'm sure that, and maybe you know you can fill fill us in on this, but to some degree, I'm sure Pineda's name uh, was involved in talks you'd heard about. But uh, but this was a surprise trade uh, when it happened. It was a surprise in that certainly at the time there was absolutely no talk leading up. I know that coming into the offseason, there was it looked like Pineda could be moved just with so many pitchers coming to the system and with the the Mariners not really having an available bat on the market. I mean, they're probably not going to sign for field as they probably never were going to. They would have to trade to get a bet. Pineda looked like a guy who could get moved, and Dave certainly wrote about that a few times, about the Mariners' chances of moving Pineda. But there was no talk. He was scheduled to appear at the Mariners' fan fest. The way that Jack Zorantic was talking about him was like, oh, we want Felix and Pineda at the top of the rotation for the upcoming season. So it was just, there was no indication to me. I thought the Mariners were going to protect Pineda. I didn't think they were going to move him at all. And then Friday afternoon, I get... It's worse than what Jerry Krasnick saying. The Mariners are close to a significant move for a young hitter that doesn't involve Brandon League. Well, 
at that point, I knew it didn't involve Felix, but I had no idea where it was going to go. And then Pineda from Montero just made so much sense. The Mariners are, how many times do you think the Yankees have talked to the Mariners trying to sell them on Jesus Montero anyway, trying to get Felix? Well, I mean, Pineda's the next best thing, right? So before we get to Montero, in terms of what this does to the Mariner pitching staff, uh, they've signed, uh, is it uh, Ishikawa? Is that right? Iwakuma? Uh, Iwakuma, yeah. So they've signed Iwakuma. They have Jason Vargas around. They get Hector Noisi? Noisi? Noesi, I believe. Uh, I actually can't remember because why would I remember who he is? Yeah, you shouldn't. Right, except for the fact that now he's on your team. I guess you'll probably know soon. <laughs> Um, I still haven't heard it pronounced though. Let's put it that way. No, right, and that's that's the uh, the bane of the internet baseball nerd is that uh, you're not privy to those sorts of things. And then uh, back there somewhere, you have James Paxton, who um, I forget which college he came out of, but I know that the Mariners drafted him, and then he spent a year in an indie ball, right? Um, yeah. And then you have also Danny Holson, who was the number two pick out of Virginia, and then Taiwan Walker. So what essentially what is the rotation going to look like in the near and then less near future? So right now, uh, if the season were to start tomorrow, which thankfully it does not because it is snowing, it would be Felix Hernandez, and then probably they would put Jason Vargas number two because he's more established. Then you have Iwakuma number three. The Mariners, I believe, want to try Nwesi as a starter, so he would be number four. And then five, you have Blake Devin or Charlie Furbish. And then you have the prospects, you know, with a shot to make the team out of spring training. But realistically, they'll probably show up later if they work out. But I don't necessarily think the Mariners are going to be settled yet. They still have money to spend. I think they could go get a starting pitcher. I don't know if they're a destination for, like, a an Edwin Jackson. I don't think Roy Oswald has any interest in pitching that far away from his tractors. But I think the Mariners are still going to make some moves. I don't know where they're going to go from here. I don't know if they're going to look for a bat or a starter. I think they'll look for a starter because right now there are a lot of question marks in that starting rotation. Even if 2012 isn't supposed to be a competitive year, they can still do better than they have. Right. And then, I mean, those, those guys, especially Paxton and Holson and Walker, I assume you have high hopes for them, maybe not? The same high hopes that I think... I mean, you look at these pitchers, and they are talented, collegiate young pitchers, young prospects in the upper levels who miss bets, and that is exciting. Holson probably not going to be an ace. Paxton probably not going to be an ace. But they get strikeouts, and they throw strikes for the most part, and they have good stuff. So they are very exciting, and the reservations are just those reservations that they are young pitchers. You just have no idea how they're going to work out, but I think I can actually feel myself taking their development for granted. So, yeah, I have pretty high hopes. Okay. Now, with regard to how uh, the uh, Mariners will go ahead and utilize Jesus Montero, uh, Dave Cameron actually wrote a, a pretty substantial piece today on the sort of uh, the question marks that that always surround um, the prospect of a of moving a catcher to DH and, and precisely what that means, or, or exactly how one how bad one has to be at catcher uh, to be moved off to the position. Um, and in the in the question of Montero, it's interesting because he has such an impact bat, one that could maybe carry DH, but would have a lot more value at catcher, I guess. So at this point, from your reading. What is the what is the the current situation? It's, it's funny because the Mariners actually haven't said a word about their plans because the trade isn't even official yet. They're still waiting for everybody to pass their physicals, which, well, if somebody doesn't, then now it's certainly send a bit of a jewel to the Internet. But let's, assuming it goes through, I would assume the Mariners are not going to abandon plans for Montero to catch at first. They'll give him a look. They'll, they'll evaluate him with their own sets of eyes. 
Uh, I don't think they're going to make him a full-time veteran in 2012 because he'll be on the Major League team. The Major League team already has two catchers in Olivo and Jaso. But I think they will give him some time. They'll give him some, a lot of time to work out in spring training, and they'll just they'll see how he comes along because Olivo's a free agent after the year, and maybe maybe they're satisfied with Montero as a catcher. I don't know. But it is, I think, a big consideration to think of how his offense would come along if he is a catcher relative to if he's not a catcher because as Dave alluded to and as other people pointed out, offense usually is higher when a catcher is not catching than when he is catching. I don't know if that's because they get worn down or because they've just lost development time because they're trying to improve behind the plate as well. So I think a big part of Montero's stuck is because he had this potential impact bat as a catcher. But as a catcher, the potential impact bat is potentially a little less impactful than if he were, say, a first baseman or a DH. So as... I did just keep referring to Dave in this conversation. I feel bad that he just has all my ideas. But ultimately, I don't think <laughs> that right now there you can look at this black and white. It's just there is an argument for him to catch. There's an argument for him not to catch. And I think the Mariners will use 2012 to arrive at a final conclusion. Which is different than uh, final solution, I guess, right? Which is much, much different from final solution yeah. for I have never been on this podcast so I don't know how far I can go with this. <laughs> uh well I don't know if um we do occasionally have Dane Perry and Dane Perry uh he uh he's filthy. He has a filthy mouth. Um but I don't know if we have ever talked about Nazis to any great degree. Uh, I was on the uh the over the monster or a Red Sox podcast with Mark Normandy and Matthew Corey and I I after five minutes my first time I just started talking about Nazis and and I, since then, I've been a little more skittish. But I mean, you threw it out there first, so. Uh, uh. Yeah, right. No, I, yeah, I did. Uh, I mean, anytime you can make a good Nazi joke, that really pulls everyone together, <laughs> the entire listening fan base. Um, the so okay, so and it, you know, Justin Smoke is also a person who's on the team, and <laughs> I guess I guess he's just a first baseman. I mean, at this point, that hasn't worked out in, like precisely as Mariners fans and probably the front office would have wanted it to work out. Is he still a viable option, or is Montero maybe a long-term candidate to take over first base? Yeah, I don't know. The way Montero gets talked about is he's a catcher or he's a DH. I think if you don't want him to catch, you basically don't want him to play defense. Smoke is interesting. You can explain his last year. I mean, you didn't even have to point to his This is now. I feel really insensitive. So his dad died last year, and that's usually not something that you – you pay a lot of attention to necessarily, but it's a factor. But maybe a more important factor is he was playing through a thumb injury that while he was playing through said injury, his numbers concurrently nosedived. And now you can play the correlation causation game. He certainly didn't admit that the thumb hampered his numbers, but he was terrible when he was playing hard. When he came back, he hit well. Before he was hurt, he hit well. So with Smoke, there's a lot of reason for hope. His numbers haven't been good. If you look at his actual professional track record, it's like a lot more hope in his scouting than his projectable statistics, but he's still young. We've seen him hit for power, switch hitter. I mean, he does a lot of things well. Hopefully he has a healthy season. If he has a healthy season, I think he could be a good but not fantastic first baseman for a while. So right now I'm hoping that there are still people who think the Mariners might go after Prince Fielder and they could get Prince Fielder and then try to trade Justin Smoke, but I think now is pretty much the worst possible time to trade Justin Smoke because his value is low. I don't know how many teams are looking for a first baseman who hasn't established himself yet. So there's a lot of hope riding on Justin Smoke. I think a lot of people are optimistic, but then I only talk to Mariners fans, and of course Mariners fans are going to be optimistic about the young young players and pessimistic about their own old players, like Miguel Riva. So, I mean, 
you, you mentioned already that we could see another signing or two for the Mariners, but we've also had you also have the situation where both the Rangers uh, and the Angels look uh, improved, or at least I mean, regardless of whether they, I mean, one of those teams is definitely improved. The Rangers are still excellent, most likely, um, although perhaps the departure of C.J. Wilson uh, creates a problem. However, he's also being uh, theoretically replaced by you uh, Darvish, who's you know like roughly the best uh, pitching prospect to come out of Japan, uh, at least in our lifetimes. The Mariners' prospects in the AL West this year, or is that not even a consideration for you? It's not really a consideration, nor should it be. I think they have about the same hope as, say, the Oakland A's, where um, the A's, I mean, they just traded for Seth Smith, right, which looks a little weird for a team like the A's, and they signed Bartolo Colon, which looks a little weird to a team like the A's. But there's value in at least putting out a competitive team. The Mariners will have so much youth already on the team or knocking on the door that, you know, you kind of hope that, well, maybe a lot of them erupt and the Mariners are actually contending and they're doing well and maybe the second wild card slot is introduced this year. But realistically, no, the Mariners in 2012 want it to be like a, a better 2011 where they have a lot of young players that want to see establish themselves, get comfortable, get productive, and then you can kind of set the stage for maybe a run in 2013. It's unfortunate that the uh, Angels and Rangers look to be uh, very, very rich and very, very good. That makes things a lot more difficult for the Mariners. I don't know what the rest of their offense is going to look like, but because there's so much youth, I mean, you look at you can imagine having Felix and Holton and Paxton in the rotation, and then you can imagine having Apley and Smoke and Montero and, and the offensive core. There's a lot there, potentially, but that's the thing. So 2012, I think, it's good. It's going to be an interesting season just because there are all these people we can hope for in the future. But in terms of wins and losses, I'm, I'm probably not going to look at the standings past June. Yeah, probably smart. Now, uh, Jeff Sullivan, I, I promised you uh, that I'd only take up about 20 minutes of your time. Uh, we're closing in on that, but um, I think it only makes sense for it's us. It's only 25 minutes, and it's snowing outside, so I'm not going anywhere. You're not going anywhere? Do you, do you want to get... I'm not going anywhere. Do, <laughs> do you want to get... Uh, well, I was going to ask you to sort of maybe to reflect on this conversation so far, your performance. I mean, do you feel like you did... Do you feel like you brought you brought your game today? I don't, actually. I feel disappointed in myself. I haven't podcasted in a long time. I think that I, I get perfectly competent answers, but I don't feel like I engaged the listener in any meaningful way. I don't think I was, I don't think I brought funny or insight. I just spent the last 30 seconds looking up how to say final solution in German, and then I realized I don't know how to pronounce German. So I'm looking at it in, in letters, but I don't know how to say it out loud. You've done so a I lot of, that. one thing you have done a lot of, uh, during, during this episode of the podcast so far is use the internet. Yeah, uh, what I don't think a lot of people realize is that I don't know anything off the top of my head except how to get to Wikipedia and Baseball Reference, and from there I can translate numbers into words. But I am absolutely hopeless yeah. in uh, face-to-face conversation, which is why I work on the internet. No, and it's good. And I've met you in person, and you have mostly nothing to say. I am yeah. just god. I don't know how I have you're, friends. You're well, mute. fortunately, I don't. But. Yeah, you don't really. You're yeah. You're you're basically a mute. Um, in fact, I should, I should just take this opportunity to apologize to you, to apologize to the listeners. Although, uh, in my defense, I was your idea. So, really, you were the one yeah. who exposed the listeners to me. I know. Yeah, well, i got to produce content. You know, we're doing this four days a week now. Um, so, I mean, at that point, you know, I usually have Dave Cameron and Dane Perry lined up each week. But now i got to come up with two guests you know i mean we've had some big guns but occasionally we're going to go to the b list or in this case the c list 
to get, you know, just to get some content. Uh, actually, could you, Sheila, I want to write that down and send it to my mother because I feel like this is actually one of the more proud days of my life. I've moved it up. To the C-list? I'm moving up to the C-list. Take that, Matthew Lillard. Yeah. Yeah, I will tell you another thing is, um, you may know this, but um, I, have, I have no trouble uh, betraying this guy's confidence. Is that uh, Sam Miller of the OC Register, yep. um, who is a uh, uh, has twice um, guested on this program? He has uh, wonderful things to say about you behind your back. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it uh, from him. I have wonderful things to say about him in front of his back, which is also I miss behind his. Oh, wait a second, this is complicated. Yeah. If you are behind someone's back, you are actually out in front. If you're behind. This is a sort of a double yeah. negative. If you think about it. Yeah, right. We don't have to think about it any much more. But he likes you, is my point. <laughs> he like he likes you, well, and, and uh, he he has a great deal of respect. Well, in fact, I mean, I don't know if it's great, but a combination of you and uh, Grant Brisby from McCovey Chronicles, and of course both of you contribute with some frequency to Baseball Nation. You actually appear to kind of make Sam feel bad about himself. Um, that's funny that you bring that up because people like Sam and Grant make me feel bad about myself. I think that Sam and I make Grant feel bad about himself. Yeah. So we're really three very similar baseball writers who just together yeah. in pairs make the third feel miserable, and that has just drawn us all together, this shared yet isolated misery and sense of inadequacy that we feel. Yeah, uh, I'll tell you what, I bet you... Communicating with you. I met you all, and I, I don't think any one of you is worth a damn. Well, no, my, I'm given to understand that Grant is actually a pixie who might live in Sam Miller's shirt pocket, but oh, I have never met Sam. I would feel honored to meet Sam. I uh, am curious as to why you are lavishing me with praise on his behalf, where I feel like maybe this is sort of a middle school note-passing situation, but I will contact him directly and, and get that for his yeah, get that No, I no, I will, because I, like, I love talking to Sam, and, and, and I think that... Um, I don't think he would necessarily mind me telling you, but my point is that I think it's nice to hear compliments sometimes. It is. It is nice to hear compliments. And you know what? I think Sam Miller is an absolutely fantastic and interesting writer on all subjects. He is one of my favorite people to read. Yeah. Yeah, agreed on that. Agreed on that. Hey, listen, uh, Jeff Sullivan, uh, it's been quite a treat talking with you. I'm surprised to hear it's snowing in Portland. I assume that uh, cars are driving off the road. Uh, I am certain that they are somewhere. I understand that Seattle has it way worse. They're actually expected to get nearly a foot of snow over the next three days, which for the listeners who aren't in the Northwest, this means absolutely nothing, especially if they live in somewhere with more snow. But that's going to be a disaster because people in Seattle cannot drive in the snow. And, uh, well, yeah, and, look and for YouTube videos. Yeah, and not just that. It's it's also that the, the city, uh, Seattle and Portland are both poorly equipped uh, from sort of an inter- infrastructure uh, standpoint on those things. I mean, they have like... I think Portland has like three sand trucks in the entire metropolitan area. So once it does snow, it becomes uh, very slick. It actually, I, on the one hand, I love being able to look out my office window and look at the snow because snow is just beautiful and breathtaking and everything in between. But on the other hand, because I work on the Internet, I can't enjoy the potential day off from work. It actually just makes me work more. So it's, uh, it's both a bummer and the opposite of a bummer. Oh, that's interesting. What's your load right now uh, in terms of in terms of contributions? Because you have you definitely you, you got the Nyer the Nyer page, and uh, and I imagine he makes you do quite a bit of work. 
Uh, yeah, yeah, no, and I was a bit of a slave driver, and that's also offensive. I shouldn't have said that. But no, uh, look at landing and the Baseball Nation. So basically, SB Nation is my full-time job. Those are my contributions. I occasionally do guest things like this podcast. Right. But outside of that, it's a... Uh, well, this, is to, like, this develops your brand, something like yeah, this. Yeah, no, right. I am definitely developing my, my brand as yeah. Look at Landing. Right. Uh, at Look at Landing on Twitter. So how many pieces do you do a day, then, typically? What's the typical situation? It, it kind of depends on your definition of piece, where if you're talking about like a long-form, more interesting no, yeah. blog post, it, this number is smaller than if you just total number of things published. Uh, we're kind of trying to figure out the right way to go about developing Baseball Nation. We've had about a year of experience, but we're still learning a lot about what works, what doesn't. So, uh, But look at landing. It's, uh, I don't know. I, I never think of it in terms of numbers. I think of it in terms of how much can I get done before I want dinner. Well, that seems fair. So you enjoy doing that, it seems like, a lot. Yeah, most of the time. Yeah. Uh, most of the time it's nice. Some of the time it is not so nice. Like on August 15th of the last two seasons? Yeah. I think uh, August and September are hard just because the man is terrible, so there's really no reason to write about them anymore. And then you get to the playoffs where it's like, holy swear word, there's, there's so much work to do. That and the games go so late and everything is so important. It's like the Mariners are done at the end of September, and you think, oh man, finally done with this day-to-day baseball recapping nonsense. It just takes so much time. And then, oh, by the way, now baseball is on for a month every day, and it's the most important it's ever been. Yeah. So it's October can be really difficult, and then November is just nothing to drink in. No, yes, absolutely, right. All right, dude. Hey, well, thanks a lot. Now we know more about uh, at least what you think about Jesus Montero and. Michael Pineda and the Mariners and their chances and all that junk. But it has been a pleasure to talk to you, and uh, stay safe out there, Jeff Sullivan. I very much appreciate the invitation. Nice to talk to you for the first time in a while, Carson. All right, that's, that's Jeff Sullivan. I'm Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio.